Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. March Madness may be here, but that doesn't mean the college football season isn't bringing any mayhem. Spring practices are here. We're getting ready for the 2019 season. Alongside veteran coach and scout Chris Landry, I'm Scott Seidenberg, and this is Rush the Field. And Chris, I want to start with Urban Meyer taking a job joining the Fox Studio program. We knew this guy was not going to stay away from the game I'm not going to ask you if he's going to be successful as an analyst. We've we've seen it before when he was with ESPN. But is this step one in him eventually coming back to coach? Well, it could be. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. He's got a position in the Ohio State Athletic Department. He'll keep that. In fact, that he's we talked about a few weeks ago, he's going to teach uh, a class or two. And then, you know, he'll still be able to do this. So it, it it's... Listen, it's a lot easier life, particularly the studio shows where, you know, you're not preparing for a game and you're not traveling um, as much. He's going to be. Listen, I don't know how that's going to work. I I don't know. I, I guess they do those shows out of L.A. Mm-hmm. So I guess he'll have to travel every week. I'm not quite sure how that's the logistics are going to work, but it keeps him close to the game. Uh, he's done that before. He did games before. Um, you know, I. I Listen, I think that the desire to go back to coaching will be there down the road as he gets further away from, you know, football. He's still young enough, but I think it's going to come down to his health and how happy he is and how much the itch is there. I think this is just to keep him involved in the game, keep his name out there. That's what he wants to do. And look, it's a few extra bucks. I mean, he can do that. He can do his Ohio State thing. Um, I think that's that's what his focus is right now. Oh, I'm sure it's a pretty chunk of change as well because you know that there were other networks that were fighting to get Urban Meyer on their set. I'm curious to see how this Fox studio show is going to work because they're trying to compete with ESPN's College Game Day, and, and it seems like it's the USC broadcast because it's uh, they got Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Rob Stone, so it's very it's very LA based. Uh, I think Brady Quinn's going to be on the set as well, so there's a little uh, oh. Ohio flavor for Urban Meyer to get uh you know Brady Quinn there and um it, it should be interesting you know look the, we we know we host the college football podcast we know you can always talk college football and the desire for content is out there so I understand why they're trying to put this show together and, and nailing Urban Meyer is a pretty good get yeah, it's a name value. You know, Urban's not the most gregarious guy. Uh, maybe in some cases a little dry, but if, if you really are into football, he'll he'll bring some interesting and unique content. Uh, again, uh, the name value, name recognition value is, as you well know, is what the networks look for. It's what they look to do. And so, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not surprised that it happened and, um, yeah, look, I mean, w- w- certainly the the whole game day stuff and all that. They they've got a uh, several years, you know, lead on that. But this this gives them a name, and uh, while they may not be able to reach that level, that it'll be interesting to see how well they do. Because you know, you're right. It's been kind of um, well, just uneventful on how some of their studio stuff is. Although I admit that I'm certainly not an expert on. Because I don't watch as much of that as most people, uh, you, you can kind of see. And I do tend to like, 
I tend to like coaches on there. They bring a little bit of a different perspective. Mm. Um, I don't think Dave Wanstead's all that particularly insightful. And I know he's been used on that before. Yeah. So maybe Urban will be able to do some of that. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting. Interesting football season. To, to, you know, a lot of games to break down. And they've got they got a good package. They've got the, the Big Ten package, which mm-hmm. kind of fits into his background of with course. Ohio State. So uh, it makes some sense for, for that reason as well. Yeah. And coaches always bring a different perspective watching. They just watch mm-hmm. games differently, you know. Uh, they watch Absolutely. games differently from players. They watch games differently from fans. So, yeah, it should be fun seeing Urban Meyer back on television as an analyst coming up this fall for Fox. Let's talk a little transfer news. Chris uh, Alex Hornybrook leaving Wisconsin 26 and 6 as the Badger starter over the past three seasons he's going to graduate from uh, I guess their business school or whatnot in May he's got one year of eligibility remaining Alex Hornybrook going to Florida State what do you make of his decision well boy there's certainly a need for quarterback there and I don't know how effective he'll be. I think Alex is very, very limited physically. Smart guy, bright guy from the neck up, good quarterback. Um, Just arm talent, the ability to move a team physically. I think there's a lot of limitations there. Which kind of, but don't you, see, 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 you, you say that, right, about him, and that's what you see. And to me, I see, well, that's perfect for the type of offense that Wisconsin runs. But yes. now, if he go now, I don't know if if Willie Taggart is going to try to spread it out at Florida State. They got certainly <laughs> some some skill it, position it, guys. It is, it is not a fit for Willie's <laughs> offense at all. I mean, not at all. I mean, that's why it's like okay, you know. I mean, smart guy, good for the room, help me, you know, but. I don't really get it. He's not, you know, will they be able to work the short pass gate and get the ball out quickly? Yeah, you can do some of those things, but they are devoid of quarterback, uh, you know, playmakers, and mm-hmm. they definitely is not a fit. And you're right. It's a, you know, work under center, it, Wisconsin, uh, play action, short pass, you know, the spread set, throw it around. About, I, I don't see that being as good a fit. But I, I, do, I do think he can work the screen games and all pretty well. But, no, I that doesn't resonate with me as saying, oh, yeah, boy, that, that that's what Florida State needs. You know, I don't I, I, I don't really see that. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I thought it was a, a very interesting uh, decision. Uh, some legal battles. I don't know if you saw this story. So David Beatty is <laughs> suing Kansas for like $3 million because um, it, it's, it has to do with his buyout, I guess, for the final three years of his contract. Now, these buyouts always get confusing. And I Correct. know that schools that have a pretty large <laughs> alumni base, maybe not so much for Kansas football, but other schools, they're, the boosters are willing to pay it off and, and you don't get these legal issues. But what's going on here with Beatty? Well, you just hit on it. Okay, so he's got a $3 million buyout. Kansas has not paid him at that point. Now, there is a suit that Kansas contacted the coach in December to halt the buyout. They said there's a university investigation into a possible NCAA violation committed by a member of his staff. Which means that they wouldn't have to pay him because they fired yeah, him for costs. Yeah. And so Beatty met with the NCAA on the matter, but Kansas drag, was dragging his heel on it. Now, what, what he's saying and his lawyer is saying is, Okay, Kansas is trying to drum up something to, you know, 
alleviate having to buy out three million dollars of it. This happens. This is the 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 ugly behind the scenes issue that goes on with how you're going to take a part of this. You know these situations. You know mostly just buy it out. Kansas is trying to save the three million and trying to come up with a reason to say, hey, look, we let them go, but we can let you go with cause based upon violation ABC. And as they say, that's why there will be lawyers that will figure that out and say it is or it isn't. I mean, you got a situation, you know, uh, obviously I know you're you're on top of everything and you're aware of what's going on in my neck of the woods uh, at LSU with the basketball coach, which is um, is apparently been caught uh, on an FBI wiretap of a runner and, and, and talking about paying a player. Well, you know, he's been suspended. He's not talking to the university. The university is not talking to him because everybody's lawyering up. LSU's going to want to terminate him eventually with cause. And looks like they're going to have, whereas, you know, he's not going to talk and and infringe upon his attorney-client privileges because his attorney says, hey, we're going to, A, if he is on tape with an FBI wiretap, he's going to try to stay out of jail one and two try to you know convince every you know a jury perhaps that you know it wasn't him on tape or whatever whatever they're going to fight and say so that he can try to get some of his money this happens very often when there is a parting of the ways of the coach is are you fired with cause without cause we know a recent situation for example at florida school that we're going to talk about their history in a little Mm bit jim McElwain. Remember that whole situation? I mean, he's struggling there, and, you know, Florida's got a couple of years. they got to pay out the guy, and they're going back and forth whether they're going to pay the guy out or not. Jim McElwain makes the mistake of coming out in the press conference saying, you know, just an innocuous statement or what he thought was very innocuous and said, yeah, my family's been death-threatened. I'm dealing with all this. And people say, Coach, have you been threatened? Uh, Yeah, you know. Well, he is required by law, if there's anything that is of the sort, he has to report it to his superiors. Well, he did not. Well, most people think he didn't He didn't report it because it didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of looking like trying to curry sympathy, like, oh, man, you know, he's knucklehead. You know, I know he's losing, but now they're, they're threatening his wife and his kids and all that. Well, it, apparently it didn't happen. And but he said it happened just to kind of get some sympathy. And but because he was on record publicly saying it happened. And of course, because it didn't happen, he didn't report it. Guess what? Florida fired Jim McElwain with cause and didn't have to pay him. So, you know, they they pay him a partial of the buyout and whatnot. So it is really important. And it's why coaches have lawyers to make sure that. All your ducks in a row, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, that you do everything right legally. Because if you step out of bounds, the university can say, oh, you stepped out of line here. We can fire you with cause. Therefore, we don't have to pay you the remaining amount. And, of course, as a coach, you want to make sure that you get every penny that's owed to you. If you get fired because they don't like you as a football coach, you don't win enough games, you can collect on your money. You step out of line and say something that doesn't follow procedure of that state school or that private university, 
you putting your your buyout in jeopardy. And this is what's happening now. And I don't know the validity of it, Scott. I, I don't know if there's you know much to the violations and did he know whatever. But it's clear that he thinks that Texas is excuse me that Kansas is running some dirty pool here uh, because of the fact that they're trying to you know not, not pony up the three million they owe. The stuff that rarely gets talked about, Chris. Uh, I know we're going to get into Florida, our state of the program coming up on the Gators. And the Gators are in the news because their matchup with Miami to kick off the 2019 season has been moved up a week. The NCAA has approved a request to move the game to August 24th, Camping World Stadium in Orlando. Why? Because ESPN wants to feature the game as a part of a celebration of the 150. 50th anniversary of college football. It's going to be 7 o'clock Eastern time on that evening, August 24th, Gators, Hurricanes in Orlando. I actually love it. And, and say that again. Give everybody the date again. August 24th. Okay, think about that for a second. Yes. So that's pretty early. early. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, normally you get to the 31st is when the first games are going to start. If you look at the opening week now, you've got that game. That that puts us into a full week before the start of September. So you got, you know, you got Arizona Hawaii that week. This will be the feature game on the 24th as you mentioned. And then you go to the Thursday the 29th, which is kind of a, you know, kind of a the next start, you'll have Georgia Tech, Clemson, and UCLA, yes. Cincinnati. We've got, you know, a, a couple of games, a few games, uh, uh, others on Thursday, like Utah and BYU, which is, is interesting to play at that early. Then you got the Friday, the 30th games with we're going to have Wisconsin and South Florida and Colorado, Colorado State. They normally open up the season and Purdue, Nevada and games like that. And then 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 it takes us, you the know, first Saturday it, of the, the first Saturday of the, the season is the 31st. Exactly. Yeah. The 31st. So it's a full week before the 31st. So Saturday the 31st was when we get it started. But 24th puts us a complete um, week ahead. And how about this now? So Florida is going to play that opening game and then have, I guess, a full two weeks off before they face their next opponent. So it's like like an early bye week in there for them. Absolutely, which is you know not ideal. You'd rather have it a little earlier, but but to, uh, a little later rather. But it, it you know it, it obviously it celebrates the game. Here's the other thing it does: it allows those teams to report to their fall practice. Yes, a and week that's early. and that's something I'm glad you brought that up because it, it rarely gets mentioned when we talk about in the NFL the two teams that play in the Hall of Fame game because they have that extra preseason game those are the first two teams to report to camp they they get in before everybody else and by moving this game up I'm glad you brought that up because now Florida and Miami are starting training camp or well, fall camp before everybody else absolutely a week before everybody else and they're allowed to do that and that was part of it to get that uh, in full sight and fuel full view of of where they want to go with the, the start of the season so it's good for them 
and it gives them uh, an opportunity to start, uh, you know, that much early, which look, it's, it's good. It, it gives them a, an earlier start on the season. It'll certainly be a big game. As you mentioned, it's going to be the feature game the week before the week before. So it is, you know, normally that, that week before is what we call it. Week zero, week zero is uh, okay. It is, you really have to search for just adequate games that it doesn't mean a whole lot, mm-hmm. but now Week Zero has a feature game of, of, of old traditional value, and then you get into the next week, which obviously is Week One, which kind of sets it all off. But it it will certainly help those teams to get that extra week uh, in the books. Of now, I'm just wondering what because that should be, if I'm not mistaken, that should be Week Three of the NFL preseason, and that's a big week in terms of the NFL because that's the dress rehearsal for the regular season. And so if there is a Saturday night NFL preseason game, I'm curious to find out how that game does going up against the third game of the preseason where it's the first dress rehearsal, you know, it's it's the final dress rehearsal for these NFL teams. Yeah, I would, uh, I would guess that this college game Will fare very well. I would hope TV that they don't. Ratings. I would hope that they don't schedule uh, a nationally televised NFL game against it because of the power of ESPN. And I don't know if if that's going to influence NBC or NFL Network or anything like that. But you know, this obviously is coming out way before the NFL schedule comes out. The NFL schedule doesn't get released until next month. I, I would hope they don't schedule a primetime third preseason game up against this. You know the. Um the preseason games are scheduled by the teams because they're, you know, they're located. So I, I would imagine they'll be okay. I mean, yeah. I, I think they would. In fact, I, I would say this. I think that they would probably be making a mistake there. Week three. Week three, there's still, remember, are going to be um, – mostly Thursday so Thursday and Friday night games. Correct, yes. And it's it's a week four where all the games are on Thursday, but I think we'll see some of it. Yeah, we could see. It'll be interesting to see. And, and I, I, I'm sure there'll be some games. I don't know if it's going to be a um, – listen, I mean, you know, the, the competing networks. I don't know if, uh, if NBC or CBS is going to have um, – uh, a game up against it, but I would say that a a meaningful college game is going to outdraw um, the the NFL preseason. Even though it's important, I think fan, fans understand that. I, I think that I think uh, college I think football fans will be more inclined to watch the college game because mm-hmm. that game is just let's call it what it is. It's much more meaningful, you know, in terms of a fan viewpoint um, than a preseason game in the NFL. Well, let's dive into the Florida Gators in our state of the program feature. What's going on at your favorite school? This is state of the program on Rush the Field. <laughs> Spring practice has begun for the Gators. Year two under Dan Mullen, Chris. And, well, it's shaping up to be an exciting season. I think hopes are high for the Gators. Finishing in the top 10 last year in the AP polls, I think expectations are high going into this season. Uh, They absolutely are. I think that they're uh, as, you know, uh, excited as can be with Dan Mullen uh, coming back to Florida. I think... They were really excited about how the team played and developed, uh, won some key games, lost a game to Kentucky early, a lot of frustration, 
but they turned it around. You can see the team get better and better. The one thing that you look back over the history of Dan Mullen, the guy's one heck of a coach and he did a great job in Mississippi state. I thought he did a really good job of coaching. Uh, and I think this team will be better coached than it has been in some time. Well, since, since Dan was there as an assistant for urban Meyer, Mm -hmm. um, I think this, this, this is going to be, uh, while it's been an underachieving program, um, for a number of years, it's no longer the case now. And the one thing I always questioned and wondered, how successful will Dan be as a recruiter? I thought he finished strong in recruiting. It's not to the level of Georgia yet, but boy, it is close. And I think I think game on. I think that Florida with, a, with another recruiting class next year is going to be right there just nipping at the heels of Georgia. And it's going to be fun to watch them and we'll see what Tennessee can do. But it's going to be, to me, Florida, Georgia, uh, for, uh, the focus going, uh, going forward. You know, Florida's history for a lot of younger people, you know, they know it is a great history. It was always, at least in my youth, Scott, the, the program – that was, you know, a, a diamond in the rough <clears throat> that was an untapped potential. Um, the, let's call it what it is. The population boom of, you know, Florida started to really change in the 50s and the 60s. People started to move south. Um, and you see a lot of retirees move there, but you started to see a lot of people move there. And the swamp lands were being developed. And, you know, uh, I mean, we, we've got the, the PGA Tours uh, having the Players' Championship this week in, in Ponte Vedra, and uh, that, that whole course was on a swamp land. And <laughs> a Disney World was literally swamp land. That's how, they, that's how Mr. Disney got it so cheap. And you know, it was like, <clears throat> you know, you're going to go to the swamps in Florida. Well, well, that's what that's what Florida. They started to build that up and it just began to be a population boom. And with that, as you know, becomes a lot of infrastructure, becomes a lot of well, you got to have schools and a lot of schools and a lot of quality, you know, um, you, you know, in, increased population led to a lot of quality players. But when you look at the history of Florida football, it's not very good at all. And it's very, very young. Um it began in 1906. The, the name of the school was the University of the State of Florida. And then 1911, they changed it to the University of Florida. And they didn't do a whole lot in the Great Depression and World War II. They had a rival with Miami. Um, they had they begin to have a rival with Florida State and LSU. The modern and but, but the modern era of football began in the 1960s. You know, whereas other programs, particularly in the South, you go back to the to the 30s and 40s, not Florida. I mean, they they were there, but there weren't much. Ray Graves, with the hiring of Ray Graves, it started to develop into something that was pretty good. They had this young quarterback out of East Tennessee that they recruited by the name of Steve Spurrier. He was pretty good. He was pretty good. <laughs> and then, you know, then then after that, they declined a little bit in 1970s under Doug Dickey, who was uh, at Tennessee, but was a former Florida quarterback. So he goes there and he didn't do a very good job. But then coming in the late uh, 70s, 1979, Charlie Pell, a former Bear Bryant assistant, um, who was at Clemson, and let's call it what it is. When when Charlie was at Clemson, he did a great job of selling the program. He was the guy that he not only was a good coach, but much like Bear Bryant, he learned how to sell a program. 
Charlie Pell at Clemson started the IPTA club, I-P-T-A-Y, and it stood for I pay 30 a year as in thousand. And so he he helped raise a lot of money for Clemson. And of course, he did uh, he did a few little naughty things that got Clemson on probation. And he goes to Florida. And it was he before Steve Spurrier that really started to build the program. And it, it, it started with Ray Graves, but it really took off to the next level with Charlie Pell. Because Charlie in, in the late 70s, early 80s, started something called the Bull Gators. That is people that support the football program and pay money. And boy, were they plenty. And he just raised a lot of money. Now, again, it led to probation problems. Um, the 84 team had a lot of success. Um, then, you know, because of the off-the-field problems, Charlie Pell was fired um, because the team was on probation. Galen Hall, who was an assistant that was not uh, named in any of the infractions, was promoted. And Galen did a nice job, had a great team. Now, this is where I coached against them, you know, pre-Steve Spurrier. And they, and that's when I started anyway. And Galen had some really good teams. This is when, you know, the Wilbur Marshalls and Emmett Smiths and coaching against those guys, the, you know. But it just didn't quite click. And then comes Steve Spurrier from Duke. The 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 prodigal son returns, and boy did it take off. And the '91 team won its first conference title. The '96 team won the national title. And you know, it, it was an era that not only had a measurable success, but it kind of changed the dynamic of the SEC because prior to Florida coming in with Steve Spurrier with the fun and gun, as they called it, it was a running league and it was not much passing and Steve changed it. I mean, it was going to score 50 on you and he's going to attack you Mm -hmm. and he's going to laugh at you doing it. And he built a big time program. Of course, we know that Steve left in 2002 to go to the NFL. And then, you know, they, they had Ron Zook come in that declined a little bit. Then it brought in urban Meyer. So they've had two of the better coaches around that they've brought in. And they've, again, after, the, the the struggles of a couple of hires in between they've had uh, you know good success now obviously on the horizons I think with Dan Mullen but the the to me a couple of things about Ray Graves he wasn't a former assistant at Tennessee to coach Neyland and then he was a longtime defensive assistant for the great Bobby Dodd and boy he did a really good job there and started to develop um, some different things it was at this time in the 60s that the Florida Medical Researchers developed Gatorade. Gatorade. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, you know, people kind of look at that. That it was formed on the campus and it was it was real. They developed into a true second half team, Scott. I mean, the Gatorade really helped. So it moved on and boy, they had some good players. Steve Spurrier was one, but Larry Dupree was a really good player. I remember them beating a seventh ranked LSU team, um, you know, going to the to the Sugar Bowl. The 65 team was ranked 12th, and um, they lost a close game to Missouri in the Sugar Bowl. But you could see the program starting to get built. And then Graves in 66 had a 92 team that defeated Georgia Tech 27-12 in the Orange Bowl. And then um, the 69 season one was, was his last, and he had the what was called the Super Sophomores. And it had John Reeves, who came in after Steve Spurrier at quarterback. The great one of the great players 
in Florida history is a receiver by the name of Carlos Alvarez was outstanding. A tailback and Tommy Durant was outstanding. And so they move on. And, and, and of course, the Doug Dickey era, as I mentioned, had some really good players. He was the one that brought in the first really African-American players. And, boy, they were really good. They had a great running back that they brought in by the name of Nat Moore. Yes, that Nat Moore. They became a great Pro Bowl and um, receiver for the Miami Dolphins. Um, they ran the wishbone offense. Sammy Green was a really good player. Wes Chandler was brought in. Great receiver in the NFL, but was really a good all-around player. Uh, so they had really you know, good teams, but not quite good enough. And that's when Charlie came in. And that's when it started to to kind of take that next step. And he had an offensive coordinator, Charlie Pell did, on his staff by the name of Mike Shanahan, a guy that nobody knew much about <laughs> who was on his, on his way. And they had Wayne peace and, um, they, they, they defeated a, a great Georgia team or they, they played a great Georgia team very close. And, uh, and it, they came close to beating them, uh, the 1980 team, a very famous game. Florida's about to beat them. And it was the run Lindsay run Lindsay play where Buck Ballou found Lindsay Scott in the middle of the field. And it was a great call by the Georgia announcer, uh, Larry Munson. So really, really good. I thought the 84 team was the best team in Georgia's history until the Spurrier era. I mean, it was outstanding. Kerwin Bell, Ricky Natil, John L. Williams, Neil Anderson, Lomas Brown, Billy Henson, Crawford Kerr, Scott Trimble, Jeff Zimmerman, all all American types have been coached against those guys. Those were outstanding. So and then, you know, obviously there were a lot of great players, as we mentioned, uh, under um, the, the the time in which, you know, Spurrier got in. And look, I mean, um, I can remember, you know, Florida had its first undefeated untied season in 1995. Um, you Danny know, I Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. Absolutely. Danny Werfel came in and boy, was he a great player. They go and play Tennessee and, you know, they're not going to beat Tennessee. Their favorite, they beat Tennessee. The Gators lost the national championship game to Nebraska uh, in, uh, in, uh, in 1995. And it was 62 to 24. Mm. And that's when Spurrier said, I got to fix the defense. Yep. And he placed a call to the Kansas State defensive coordinator, the guy that was coordinating the defense for Bill Snyder, guy by the name of Bob Stoops. And then Bob comes in and he starts to take a very attacking style defense and they go on, they have success. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. And Steve just had a tremendous career. Ron Zook recruited very well. And if you remember, the athletic director at that time went on a search. He offered the job to Mike Shanahan, uh, who was the Bronco coach? He turned it down. Then they offered it to Bob Stoops, who had then gone on become at that point become the coach at um, at Oklahoma. Uh, they both turned it down. They turned to um, the Saints' defensive coordinator and former Gator assistant um, under Spurrier Ron Zook. And Ron recruited very well, just didn't have the type of success as a coach. Uh, Urban Meyer comes in in 2005 and then becomes a different era where they're able to recruit the, some guy named, named Tim Tebow and lots of good players in that era and the Percy Harvin guys and, and Dan Mullins on the staff. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you got the Will Muschamp era, not all that uh, effective. Jim McElwain, we know how that played out. And we're down to, to the Dan Mullen, um, you know, era. I, I think about the greatest players. I think – 
Larry Dupree in the 60s, Spurrier in the 60s, the late 60s, early 70s, Carlos Alvarez. Got to remind folks, the great Rams defensive end, Jack Youngblood. Yes. Emmett Smith. I can't believe we didn't say Emmett Smith. Well, I hadn't got to him yet because I I mentioned Emmett when he was – I remember I I mentioned that I coached against him in the Galen Hall era. So it was prior to the Spurrier era, and they were on probation. But Emmett Smith and Wilbur Marshall, God, they were just unbelievable players. But John Reeves, Glenn Cameron, a great linebacker, Wes Chandler. uh, Chris Collinsworth was a good receiver in 1980, and he could run a lot better than people might think. David Galloway, a good defensive end. Wilbur Marshall was great. Lomas Brown, a good offensive tackle. Remember, great center in the early 80s, Phil Bromley. Tim Newton, um, a defensive lineman in the 80s. Uh, Adrian White was a good safety. Clifford Charlton in the late 80s at linebacker. Lewis Oliver was a great safety that played in the league. Trace Armstrong, great defensive end. At Florida, great defensive end in college, and now one of the premier agents for coaches, Trace Armstrong is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emmett Smith was in 89, you know, late 80s and, you know, early, to, excuse me, in the mid to late 80s. Uh, Brad Culpepper, Shane Matthews, William Gaines, Eric Rett, Kevin Carter. Mentioned Danny Werfel and uh, uh, Fred, uh, Anthony. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of that Danny Werfel team. So Fred Taylor was on that team. Yes, with Danny Werfel, I Killyard, who played for the yeah. Giants for a little bit, he was on that team as well. Um, Javon Curse was on that team. Remember, yes, Titan, former Titan uh, player, correct. Javon Curse was on that team. Yeah, drafted Javon. Absolutely, so absolutely great player. No, no, no doubt about it. Was was really really good group there in that in that '95 era. I'm trying to think too who else was was in there. EJ Green was really good. Um, Todd Fordham was a really good offensive lineman. Um, so a lot, a lot of good guys on that, uh, on that group that was, that were really outstanding in that, uh, in that era. Uh, Jason Odom played in the league a long time. Jeff Mitchell. I'm trying to think who the, 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 the running backs, um, Fred Taylor was there. Terry Jackson. Oh mm. gosh, how could I forget him? Outstanding as well. Johnny Church uh, was, uh, was really good. James Bates was a linebacker at that time. A good player, so absolutely some some really good players. It's a program that you look at, and even into the modern history, the the players that have come in, first rounders, and you know Harvin and Joe Hayden and Pouncey and Spikes, go on and on and on. Matt Elam, just so many good players, so many more talented guys. It's a program that if you look at and say the talent base and the talent level, it's one of the premier jobs in the country. Of course. And Bear Bryant always used to say when he was coaching there, and again, this was before Florida did anything. He said, if they ever figure out the right coach over there, we're all playing for second. (laughs) And it was because he knew that the talent level in the state was so good, it just needed the right person there. And again, um, Steve Spurrier deservingly so gets a lot of credit. I'd like to talk a little bit about what Charlie Pell did. And, and certainly there was a probation issue, so I get it. But he built, you know, the infrastructure after Ray Graves did it. He built the infrastructure of, hey, let's raise money and have a big time program. So I think Ray Graves and Charlie Pell deserve a lot of credit for establishing some things in place in Florida. And it was Spurrier that came in and took that program, provided stability, provided excitement. And there's no question that the Florida, that that was a dominant program. They were the dominant team in the conference when Steve was there. 
And it was until Nick Saban came to Alabama, there is no doubt it was Bear Bryant number one and Steve Spurrier number two Mm -hmm. in the history of the Southeastern Conference in terms of coaches. Now, Nick Saban has kind of maybe taken the mantle from both of them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that just gives you an idea how great Steve Spurrier is and Still going at it in the Alliance League, but it is uh, it is I developed. Think undefeated, I think undefeated as well in the Alliance. If I think, I think yeah, Orlando is undefeated. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's a program that again, if you're probably you know under fifty years old, you probably think ah, Florida was always great. I can tell you, it was it was a nothing program that just you know was you could see in the sixties that there was potential to get better because of the population base. But you just you just wasn't there. Look, um, Florida State was the same way, but Florida had the SEC name behind it, and they just they just couldn't do anything in the league. And, you know, outside of Spurrier and some of those good players, they really weren't competitive and competing for titles. I mean, they just weren't. And Florida State, really until Bobby Bowden got there in the late 70s, didn't didn't you know didn't do a whole lot they had good players but again they were playing as an independent so they were in a little bit different situation so the three programs that we talk about miami florida and florida state you know all have a a modern history that goes really from the 60s on and really more like 70s and late 70s to where they were really really good that might surprise some folks because the one thing about college football scott it's real old, mm-hmm. and you can go back and look and trace the Alabamas and the you know some of the programs, and you go back to the to the fifties and forties and thirties, and we talk about a, that a lot during this segment as we're breaking down all the programs. But this Florida program is a relatively young program when you consider the modern uh, modern history of the game. Well, let's uh, before we uh, wrap things up here, just a couple of nuggets on Florida's 2019 schedule. Uh, it's the first time we talked about their game being moved up to August 24th to take on Miami. That game being played in Orlando. Chris, it's the first time that they have started the season away from Gainesville since 1987. <laughs> it's also um, it's also the first time that they're starting against a power conference team since 1992. I know. And Florida is one of just two teams in all of FBS this year that are playing two neutral site games. They have the game against, uh, as we mentioned, against Miami and Orlando. And then, of course, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, which we played in Jacksonville, you know, the Georgia game every year. Miami is the other team who's playing the game against Florida, as we mentioned. And then they're also playing one game against FIU at Marlins Park this year, you know, where they used to play in the uh, the old OB, the site of the old OB. <laughs> That's right. um, so, yeah, so uh, only two schools are playing two neutral site games this year, and that's Miami and Florida. So a little nugget there on the 2019 schedule for Dan Mullen's Florida Gators. Hey, you guys got to do me a favor. Go to LandryFootball.com because there's no better place to be than where veteran NFL scout Chris Landry takes you step-by-step through the free agent and draft process around the NFL 
all the inside info on what the college programs are doing here in spring practices. Look, this is a busy time in the NFL. We just found out Odell Beckham Jr. is going to the Browns. You got to read about it on LandryFootball.com. Chris, I know you're on top of all of this on the website. Yeah, we are. And, you know, it looks like D Ford uh, is uh, going to end up going to the 49ers. A lot of stuff going on. It's fast and furious. Uh, free agency starts on Wednesday, obviously, but a lot of news have taken place. So that's exactly what we're doing. We, we take things in chronological order. And so for our football fans that are engaged in the pro game, we've got that covered for you. And of course, we're knee deep into the draft process. And we've got, uh, got our draft boards that are going to be cranking out with scouting reports that are going to come out on all the players, just like they're read inside the a, a scouting meeting so you're gonna love all that and our notebooks uh, that keep you up to date on everything going on around the nfl and college football uh, as it relates to players that you follow in college that are headed towards the draft whether it's uh, deals to do with off the field situations like we talked about today with david Beatty in kansas or more transfer information the transfer portal we're keeping you updated on all that recruiting spring practices now getting in full force as we are believe it or not mid March. So yeah, it, it is it is a busy time of year and LandryFootball.com is your one-stop shopping for football. And we got our scouting season discount. Take advantage of that. It'll take you through all of this, this, this period, all the way through next football season. It'll get you all the breakdowns during the season. Of course, you can uh, get the free War Room newsletter as well by uh, going to LandryFootball.com, clicking on the War Room logo about uh, midway down the right side, and send us your email, and we'll give you an interesting nugget in your mailbox every Friday of something that's going on around the world of football, college or NFL. And, of course, you can listen to my podcast, Landry Football Podcast, every Tuesday and Thursday. And uh, also, you got to listen to us every week, break down college football. We love it. You can feel the passion in our voice, but we love it. And next week, we're going to be talking about, I think, the LSU Tigers and the history of the LSU program. And uh, so we take a program every week. This week, it was Florida. Next LSU. And I think fans are going to want to tune in next week because if you know anything about Chris Landry's background, there's been a stopover in Baton Rouge for the LSU Tigers. So go Tigers next week talking about LSU. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Please follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. Follow me, Scott Seidenberg, at Scott's on Air. New episodes of Rush the Field can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Until next week, Chris. Hey, look forward to it, and have a great week, everybody. Talk to you next week. This is a sitting ringside with David Penzer. Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This week on City Ringside, we welcome former play-by-play extraordinaire and the host of the last WCW Monday Nitro, along with Tony Schiavone. I'm talking about Scott Hudson. We talked to Scott about his upbringing as a wrestling fan back in Georgia in the 1970s and 80s, his start with the Global Wrestling Federation, and the story behind the money that wasn't there. Also, how he got into WCW, what he thought the beginning of the end of WCW 
he was, his thoughts on being uh, the one to call along with Tony the last WCW Monday Nitro, the conversation that him and Tony had afterwards and what happened then and what he's doing now as well. A great conversation with a great guy. Be sure to find it anywhere podcasts are found. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Sitting Ringside or write us a review. It'd be much appreciated. Sitting Ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 